0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3. Um, well, perhaps um, before we start in chapter 3, there's something I have to say about propitiation. Propitiation propitiation which is atonement but atonement how do I explain this like atonement um, and also an amends an amends like uh, making amends you know like uh, uh, if you have beef with your spouse you make amends you know that it's And I don't want to candy coat it like it's something trivial, because in terms of our relationship with the Lord, it is very deep and very holy, very holy. So I don't want to trivialize it by saying, you know, for example, when you have beef with your spouse, because it's a much deeper level than that. Uh, But just to give an idea of propitiation, it's multifaceted. It's very important to understand these things. Especially in terms of the offering being Jesus Christ. Remember, we're in the law. We're studying the law, and something you have to keep in mind is all these: the grain offering, the burnt offering, and today we're on the peace offering. Consider it a a tapestry. Okay, there's multifaceted, multi-levelled, multi-purpose, and we're gonna see these things play out. I shouldn't say play out. We're going to see these things uh, placed into practice in Deuteronomy, in all of the Old Testament. And we're going to see the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We already do see the fulfillment in Jesus Christ as New Covenant believers. It's very, very important to grasp these concepts. Because not that I am highlighting necessity of the law but showing the depth of how holy this is the depths of how holy our relationship is with the Lord. You know uh, uh, something I have to say as well is if you turn with me really quick to um 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And you know to explain this a little bit more kind of like a little precursor study to uh Leviticus chapter 3. And so here in 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 it says uh, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is atonement, but then also keep in mind the amends and peace. You know, like we have peace with god through jesus christ and and i i don't want to candy coat it by by i don't want to candy coat this concept by just saying oh like a blank statement you know we have peace we have peace with god through jesus christ and you know i don't want to gloss over that because that's a big deal it's a humongous deal without this mediator capital m i'm speaking of jesus christ where would our hope be? Would our hope be in the law? You know, it's, it's, it's to understand like how beautiful the, the work of the Lord, how beautiful it really is. In terms of our separation from God. From our Father. Because of sin. That's the work of Satan. It's, it's straight up Warfare. And you know uh, you know people play video games, they watch the war movies and you know you you sit on your couch, you know, and you watch a war movie. You sit in you you have you sit in front of a computer and you know you sit in front of your couch like you know one of those gaming chairs. I saw one the other day, it was pretty cool, the gaming chairs. You know, and you sit in the gaming chair, it has the speakers and the the vibrations with explosions and all these things, but you're in a t-shirt and shorts. You know, and eating cheese puffs. You know, there's, you know, you hit pause and you take a sip of uh, soda or something. There's zero brutality to it. Not to mention, you know, zero brutality to it. There's zero what happens inside. I mean, you're on the front lines in a video game. It's just a video game. You're on the front lines in the real world. Like in Afghanistan, wherever it might be, Tarawa. Look at, read the the uh, historical recordings of old battles, Incheon, Ho Chi Minh, the Tet Offensive. Read all of these things, and you see, whoa, this is this is no joke. This is serious. And what goes on inside of the heart, inside of the mind, when your best friend is blown to smithereens? When men that you love are just blown up maimed arms blown off it it, it 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 what happens to the psyche it's very very brutal what happens in the heavenly realm what happens in the unseen realm it's very very brutal you know why because satan is going to hell His demons, his minions, they're going to hell. They're going to the lake of fire. They know it. And they want to take you with them. All the people you love, they want to take them with them. You get a picture of what I'm saying in terms of the brutality of war? Which begs the question... At what point are we going to wake up as Christians, as the bride of Christ? at what point are we going to wake up to this fact? The brutality of the nature of warfare in a very spiritual sense the the you know you can you can look at the worldly sense and yes, that's brutal, but it's nothing compared to the eternal because that's where the second death is. that's where the lake of fire is. Then you start to understand, like, whoa, this is this is no joke. This is nothing to, you know, uh, uh, be fanciful in our relationship about. And I'm not trying to sound overly gung ho, where like, you know, if you're not like this, if you don't, then you know, you're toast. I'm not. I'm not trying to come off that way. But in a sense, you know, the choice is for each and every one of us to make. Once you understand the nature of warfare, once you understand the casualties, then you start to realize like, oh my goodness. I'm not going to walk around without a shield. I'm not going to walk around without a helmet, without a breastplate, without the full armor. I'm not going to walk around without a sword. And you see, it's negligence to do so. Negligence Spiritual negligence Which uh, The apostles All these writers They have something to say About spiritual negligence Especially when it comes At the cost of Not only yourself But another person And then Having that in mind You start to realize Jesus Christ Is a big deal Not to imply that he he ever was not a big deal. But when you put things in eternal perspective. And this raging war. This raging battle for souls. And then you read verse 2 of 1 John chapter uh, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. It's like, whoa, Lord. Like, I I loved you before, Lord, but now I love you even more, and tomorrow I'm going to love you even more so. The depths of our love relationship with Him gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in the course of time as we mature and grow and grow and grow. But you know what Satan delights in? Milk. He likes Christians to be on milk. Because they're not a threat Look at the worldly sense You take a little one year old You put you know, a pair of boxing trunks on him Put some boxing gloves on a little two year old And then you get a little boxing ring You put this little baby in a ring And it's like okay This is your opponent It's like this piece of cake You just flick the guy And he's toast That's what Satan wants you to be He wants you to be a little one-year-old on milk with, you know, cute little boxing gloves, cute little boxing trunks, the little shoes, nice little socks. That's what Satan wants. But what he's terrified of is a church like we see in the book of Acts. So he goes through great lengths to prevent that from happening. Once a, a, a child in Christ starts to grow... And matriculate with the full armor of God. That's what Satan doesn't want. Because you're a threat at that point. You're a threat to his efforts to take people to hell with him. So when I say that this Jesus Christ is the propitiation, I mean it's. I really don't have words to explain the magnitude of this. But remember this concept of propitiation being atonement, amends, and then also peace. It's very big. I mean, we're we're talking in Leviticus about the peace offering. But then at the same time, all these other offerings made before God. Old Testament examples as a shadow of the things to come. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So he says here, he is the he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Ask a Calvinist to explain this. They can't explain it. I'm not saying it's universalist, where it's like, you know, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world and everybody is, well, is gonna die and go to heaven. That's universal universalism. But his his The death of Jesus Christ atones for the sins of whosoever. A Calvinist will say, only for the elect. God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. That's what Reformed theology teaches. Presbyterianism. That's mainline. When I say Presbyterian, Reformed theology, Calvinism, that's mainline. You know, sometimes I talk to a person, it's like, you know, I had a big uh, argument, not, not, I shouldn't say an argument, uh, maybe it was an argument with the, uh, uh Reformed theology person recently, also some Satanists, and some uh, atheists, and Satanists. And there was this uh, constant back and forth, constant back and forth, and every time, you know, the Calvinist would say, the Reformed theology person would say one thing, it's like, well, wait a second, you know, I understand what you're saying. But let's look at what the Bible says. Old Testament and New Testament. And then we get into concepts of exegesis, which is, you know, there's exegesis, which we, you know, take from the Bible, which comes out of the Bible, emanates from the Word of God. But exegesis, when you have these preconceived notions and you insert them in the Bible, that's not good. You never, ever do that. It's exegesis. And it's such a trip because, you know, the Word of God is equipping. Because people can say all these arguments about whatever doctrine. But look, let's read here what what Brother John writes in verse 3. He says, Now, by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You start to understand that, you know, God's mercy, God's mercy is conditional. You know, a Calvinist would say, you know, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. You know, on on, on Jacob he loved and uh, Esau he hated. And they'll just put a period there and say, you see. But when you read the entirety of scripture, you see that Esau was a lying fornicator. Read Hebrews, chapter twelve. You start to see mercy is conditional. Verse four here of what brother brother John is writing. He uh, he says he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's speaking Christianese. That's what John is saying here. People who speak Christianese and then, you know, they go out in the clubs, get drunk, do their sexual stuff, get high, do all their craziness. It's a way to say it's to obey Jesus Christ, the teachings of the word of God. Make a cognizant choice to say, yeah, you know, my flesh desires this. My carnal nature wants to do this. But no, I'm the one who's going to yield to the word of God. And He does the transformation inside of you. And then all of a sudden, your very nature starts to change. You're like, man, I used to like to get high. I don't like that stuff anymore. I used to like alcohol. I don't like that stuff anymore. You know why? Because the Lord is doing a work inside of you. And so He says in verse 5, But whoever keeps His word. Remember, there's that choice. Whoever keeps His word. You have to make a choice in your life. Whether or not you're going to keep God's word and be very selfish with this aspect. You know I'll, I'll speak individually. Sometimes I speak corporately to the church body, but I'm speaking individually right now. Be very selfish in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Selfish in terms of, you know, you have to make a choice for your vessel. I don't care about anybody else. I'm talking about you. The world around you, it's a mess. You don't need me to tell you that. It's a mess. Look at the... It's a mess. But I'm speaking about you. And I'm speaking to you. Do you choose to keep His word? Or do you choose to not keep His word? And it's so cool. It's like how the Lord works. In verse 5, But whoever keeps his word truly loves, t- truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. This word perfected, truly the love of God is perfected. It's a process. It's completed, but then to, to brought to completion. Remember, it's a process. And you see, you know, it starts with Jesus, it begins with Jesus. Now the Calvinist, Reformed theology person will say, you know, the Holy Spirit compels it to happen. The Holy Spirit compels me to repent. The Holy Spirit forces me to repent. The Holy Spirit does the work. He forces me to do this. And this is a big deal. Because, and, and I'm not trying to bag on the Calvinist. But it's an excuse. And I say a pretty lame excuse. Because to say, look, the Lord has forced me to accept Jesus Christ. The the Holy Spirit has forced me. The Holy Spirit does the work in me. And I'm not nullifying the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit certainly does a work inside of us. But then to go so far as to say, and it's only for the elect. It's only for those who are predestined for heaven it's not for those who are predestined for hell god has mercy on whom he has mercy you see it's it paints the character of our lord in very negative light not only that but it removes personal responsibility at what point were will a calvinist you know a calvinist in a mistake you know how could he or she make the argument of like you know i need to repent because the argument can be made, this was predestined to happen. Deal with it. Now imagine a grieving wife. A grieving wife at, you know, a, a marital infidelity. And the husband, you know, the wife, you know, husband, why do you do this? Why have you done this? And the husband, well, you know, sorry, it was predestined to happen. You see, it doesn't, there's a disconnect there. It removes that personal responsibility instead of saying, husband, why are you doing this? The husband should say, Lord, forgive me. I've broken the covenant. I'm going to fall to my knees and repent. It blows me away. So imagine counseling if you're a pastor and you're counseling. I mean, I, how do you count? It's, it must be the easiest form of counseling. You say, well, you guys, this was predestined to happen. Deal with it. That's why you have all these, you know, Calvinist people, they commit suicide. It's like, wow, you know, I committed this sin. You know, maybe I'm not the elect. Maybe there's no hope for me, so I'm just going to jump off a bridge. I'm just going to blow my brains out. And you see, it's not that I want to bag on Calvinism and Reformed theology. It's nothing like that at all. But we're, we're seeing these aspects in the law. Which ring true in the New Covenant. The character of the Lord stays exactly the same. Because God is the same. I never change, says the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Huge deal, this concept of propitiation. Not just in our study about the peace offering. But remember the burnt offering, which was a free will offering. Not to mention, we're about to see in future chapters in Leviticus, even the peace offering itself is a free will offering. It's not by compulsion. A priest doesn't say, hey, you have to do this. I mean, a, a person will say, like, what do I do? And then the priest says, well, if you, if you, if, if you want to have peace with the Lord, if you want to you know, be right with the Lord, then you have to do this. But it's not by compulsion. You see, it's 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 so powerful how you know when you. I I used to I I I don't I don't say these things to bag on anybody who leans on crazy doctrines, but I used to be kind of wishy-washy myself, where I used to listen to these teachers and it's like wait a second read the Bible and it's like, I don't get it, because this person says this but the Bible says this not just here not just here not just here also over here here and here. And so rather than say, okay, you know, I'm going to put the Bible to the side and read what this guy has to say, it's the other way around. Put the guy to the side and say, oh, I'm going to stick to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. So this concept of propitiation, it's huge. You hear it sometimes. People say Jesus Christ is the propitiation of our sins, which is true. Nothing wrong with saying that. But it is so deep. The magnitude of saying that is like, whoa. Especially in terms of Leviticus. I mean, we're just like, you know, we were on the burnt offering, the grain offering. Now we're on the peace offering. That's like three forms of propitiation and we're just getting started. This process of atonement. I don't even want to call it a process. It's this holiness of atonement. Amends. And it's not anything, remember, it's God's offering of His only begotten Son. It's not like, wow, well, I, I want to make amends with God. What do I do? What do I do? Hey, my friend, it's been done. It's been done. The offering has already been made. You say like, whoa, do you mean to tell me it's that easy Yes, um, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's that easy. You believe in Jesus Christ and his death for your sins. And it doesn't just end there, it's to grow in Christ. You see how beautiful that's the good news, straight up. You know, that's, I mean, imagine telling somebody, hey, you're going to burn in hell. I mean, (laughs) that's not good news at all. But to tell a person, you know, you make these choices, you're going to burn in hell. But then at the same time, you don't have to burn in hell. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about making peace with God. Let me tell you about making amends with God. Let me tell you about... Atonement for sin. And you know, maybe I should even say making amends with God. Maybe it's better worded as saying God making amends with you. Because remember, Jesus Christ is His offering. Of His only begotten Son. That's how much God loves you. Not just you, also the whole world. Where are the messengers? Where are the warriors? You see how deep this is? So now let's go to Leviticus chapter 2. Now that we have kind of like a, an understanding of propitiation. And that's kind of like surface level. That's There's more verses in Hebrews and Romans about... Jesus Christ being the propitiation, which we're going to get to in future studies. It's very important to understand these things as we study the law. So he says here in chapter 3 of verse 1 in the book of Leviticus, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering. Now this peace offering, there's various kinds and occasions. It's, uh, you know, when I say kinds and occasions, it's, you know, the periods of being thankful unto the Lord, uh, uh, making amends with the Lord, and honoring the Lord. And we're going to see that in future chapters in Leviticus. Remember, this is a tapestry. You know, one part is the burnt offering. Another part is the grain offering. And here we're on the peace offering. Like multi-layered. He says, if he offers it of the herd, you know, some things to notice here are uh, uh, um, uh, the, in verse 6. Here in verse 1 is the herd, like an ox. Uh, verse 6 is the flock, which is like a sheep. And in verse 12 is a goat. You know, it's, you start to understand here. So it's the herd, the flock, and the goat, and you know, it, or the ox, the sheep, and the goat. What about the bird? What about the bird? Remember the burnt offering? There was like the classes of people. If you're low, if you're wealthy, you know, it's like to say like you have plenty, then you have a bigger animal as a burnt offering to the Lord. If you're middle class, you still have an offering to the Lord as a burnt offering. It would be a smaller animal like a sheep. But then if you're poor, You bring a bird, a turtle dove, turtle dove or young pigeon. You see, this burnt offering is for all the people. But when it comes to the peace offering, there's no bird, no turtle dove, no no pigeon. And I can't corroborate this. You know, I can't corroborate this, but I have a hunch, a hunch. You know, there's two hunches. One is like, okay, I get that, but then there's another special hunch. One aspect would be, okay, the poor are covered by the wealthier homes. Like, for example, if you say you're wealthy, and I'm like dirt poor, and I'm your servant, I'm your bond servant in your house, you know, I'm in your living quarters. You know, maybe you have a second home or, you know, a little detached area where you have your servant class, and that's where I live. And so, you, as the homeowner, the wealthy homeowner, when you make your peace offering, your, your your ox to the Lord, it's I'm covered because I'm under your your roof, so to speak. You're my covering. That's one school of thought. But I have another school of thought, which we're starting to see. I don't want to say the beginnings because we've seen this in Genesis already. But we're starting to see aspects of God's special favor upon the poor. There's favor upon the poor. Remember, we read verses already where the poor are rich in faith. But there's special favor upon the poor. And it just doesn't end there. The poor, widows, and orphans. We're going to see throughout the entirety of Holy Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament that God has special favor on the poor, widows and orphans. And you know, when I say there are times when you hear me say I can't corroborate this, it's because you you can't find these in these they're not in mainline teachings. I'll explain this a little bit deeper. Like on the you know you have surface knowledge, but then you have relationship knowledge. And relationship knowledge comes when you read the entirety of scripture. You know, and the Holy Spirit kind of shows these things like from scripture. But you know in scripture you see that God has favor on poor, on widows and orphans. And we're going to come across situations where, you know, a poor person is treated differently from a wealthy person, just like Lazarus and the rich man remember God is no respecter of persons it's just the opposite remember Simon in our study in the book of Acts Acts chapter 8 he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit I mean wherever this guy went I'm sure he could he could have purchased anything You know, oh, I want this, you know, I want want to buy this, I want to buy that, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. He talks to Peter. Hey, Peter, I want to buy this ability. Peter's like, no way. The Holy Spirit skipped over you because you have wickedness in your heart and bitterness. You need to repent, Simon. And Simon believed in Jesus Christ. These are things that emanate from Holy Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament. I'll give you another example. Say there's a grumpy old man. And he doesn't like being with children. Surface level. Let's say, okay, this is a grumpy old man who doesn't like being around kids. But then say, for example, if somebody takes you to the side. And this somebody has a deep relationship with this grumpy old man. And this person who has a deep love relationship with this man says, it's not that he hates kids. It's that he loves kids. Except there is so much hurt and pain and anguish associated with children. So there's this distance, there's this gap that is created. It's not about hating the kids. It's about having immense love for the kids, but there's a reason for this gap. Or say you're a nurse, and you know you're bringing your lunch tray to a patient, and on the lunch tray there's some rice there, a little pile of white rice, and then all of a sudden the patient just throws the, throws it, the the tray, throws it against the wall, screams and squirms. Curls up like a like in a fetal position and starts to cry uncontrollably. Surface level, you'd be like, Whoa, this guy's crazy. What in the world's going on here? But then say, you know, somebody who has a deep love relationship with this guy will take you to the side and say, you know, in nineteen sixty nine he was a POW in Vietnam. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. They beat him. They killed his comrades. They tied him up. You know, put his arms behind the back and hung him by the wrists. They fed him white rice with maggots. You know, little piles of rice to tease them and mock the mock the GIs. They'd have to pick out the maggots. And he was beaten. The, the VC was trying to get intel. And they would beat them. They, people would... Their jaws were out of socket, bones were out of socket. They would slice them open and make them see their, their inner parts. Horrible, horrible atrocities. And anytime this guy sees white rice, that's the first thing that comes in his mind. A POW in Vietnam. So, you know, surface level would be like, No, this guy's crazy. This old guy in the hospital bed, he's crazy. Or the old grumpy guy who doesn't like kids. Surface level would say one thing. But a relationship would reveal deeper aspects. And that's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with the Lord. And the Word of God because you start to read and there's going to be times where it's like man lord I don't get this I don't get what's happening here and you read and you read and you read and you know the holy you have a little journal and you come to a part that you don't understand you know write it you know put it down you know little aspects that you don't get or write down you know things that you have issues with You know, like if you have anger issues, highlight it in your Bible. You know, you read the Bible and the Lord hammers you in your heart. Highlight it in your Bible. And then, you know, in the course of time, you might get to that same part. You know, in a year, go through the Bible. In two years, go through the Bible. You know, go back to Genesis and you're going to read and you're going to see an old highlight with a little note there. Like, you know, uh, I have issues with this, you know. And you're gonna read it, and you're like, whoa, I haven't had issues like this in five months. And it's those moments where you can rejoice. Like, wow, Lord, look at the work that you've done. So, like you see here in chapter three, this peace offering, there's the exclusion of birds that was the in not just in the burnt offering, but in other offerings, there were you know, people could bring their birds. It was for the poor people. Why are the poor people excluded in chapter 3? Or Why is the offering of the bird excluded in chapter 3, which is associated with the poor? What if rather than saying they're excluded, what if it is better better worded to say that there's special favor on these people? Just like we're going to see in future chapters, special favor for widows, special favor on orphans, Old Testament and New Testament. You see, these are things that, you know, you that are gained from a relationship with the Lord. Not anything, you know, it's not to sound uh, mystical. It's just from the word. You just read the Bible. The Holy Spirit does the work. I shouldn't say, you know, you just read the Bible. I mean, you read the Bible and, you know, with you know, your heart has to be right with the Lord. You can't, you know, be, you know, playing games with the Lord. I mean, you can read the Bible in any condition, but I mean, when you're playing games with the Lord, it begs the question like, wait, wait a second here. Where, where's the obedience to the word? And I don't want to try to sound like, you know, it's works-based salvation because it has nothing to do with, with works-based. Because the work is done. God's offering is His only begotten Son, the propitiation, Jesus Christ. But there still is a process of holiness. Reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and being alive in Christ it's so holy i can't, I can't i can't stress it enough, and I'm not speaking about the law and saying the law is holy, you know back then it was, but it was just a mere shadow we're living in the age of the fulfillment of the law. I meant so much so that we're almost in the age of the Fulfillment of the closing of grace. This door of grace isn't going to be open forever. Jesus Christ is returning soon. So look at verse 1 here, chapter 3. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering. If he offers it of the herd, so it's like a big animal, like an ox. Whether male or female. He's like, wait a second, female? I don't get it. Well, we know that the offer, you know, these offerings are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, like the male portion here would be Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're about to see in future chapters, you know, reference to a third day with the peace offering. Very interesting in terms of the fulfillment being Jesus Christ. So, whether female, male or female, and it's like, wait, wait a second. I don't get it female. Well, as new covenant believers, remember we are this covenant is the law. The Christian, the born again Christian is not under the law. Is we're under grace. We're under the law of the new covenant. It's a different law. And in accordance with the new covenant, there Are some offerings in the law which have reciprocity in a highly spiritual sense? Reciprocity. The reciprocal nature of specific offerings. As a New Covenant believer, I'll give you an example. You know, we talked about it when we were in the burnt offering, how Jesus Christ is the offering. But then at the same time, what about the offering of you, which comes later? What about, you know, your, the process of holiness begins in your heart. You believe Jesus Christ. And the process of holiness begins, it resumes, it continues, and it's going, going, going. And, you know, just like the people went to Paul, Paul, what do we do? He says, you know what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Then it takes on a deeper meaning and a deeper level. That's what I mean when I say the reciprocity. It's... We're, we're always going to be... Have sin. I don't mean to sound fatalistic in saying that, but you're always going to deal with sin because we're in these earth suits. We're in these earthen vessels. And we're never going to come to a point of sinlessness. But as the Lord does a work inside of you, inside of me, we can sin less and less and less and less and less. Both male and female, as it is written here. You say, Wait a second, are you talking? Are you? It sounds like you're advocating the law. No, I'm not advocating the law. I advocate the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. Well, you just talked about me. Yes, I did just talk about you, but is Christ in you? Okay, he's in me. Okay. Are you male? Yeah, I'm male. And what about you? Yeah, I'm female. There you go. You see? So verse 1 here. If he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Nothing mangy. You know, it's given to the Lord. It's an offering unto the Lord, but it's nothing mangy. It's not like, oh, you know, this animal's going to, this ox, he's going to die anyways. He's just a sacrifice. So let me choose, uh, where's this mangy one at? You know, he's gimpy. No, it doesn't work that way. Without blemish. Without blemish. Something that's cream of the crop. Lord, this is for you. This is for you, Lord. Lord. You know, this is something. You know, this process of being without blemish. This is something we do once a month during c- communion, and it's not to say like, hey, we're 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 gonna come to a point where we we ourselves are without blemish. I mean, if you, when you come to that point, you're gonna be dead. But you know, it's to take inventory of your heart, inventory of your temple. What's going on inside of your mind? What's going on inside of your heart? Does it align with Scripture? If it does, praise be to the Lord. If it doesn't, then you need to repent. You know, and this is a process. This is something we do once a month as a church body. But it can be done individually, in your own prayer time with the Lord, in your own time in His Word. Oneness with the Lord, where you take inventory of your heart, inventory of your mind. It's called holiness. Holiness. Remember, Jesus Christ says, be holy for I am holy. John writes about it. In verse 2. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it. Kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And this is so, it's so beautiful. It's There are certain aspects of the law which are gruesome. Very gruesome. Because there's a lot of blood. But with the understanding of the nature of warfare, the nature of the battlefield before us, what aspect of our walk isn't gruesome in terms of casualties? In terms of the fact that Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. Be it somebody in your home. Spouse. Child. You say, okay, everything's fine today. What about tomorrow? What about five years from now? Ten years from now? Twenty years from now? Thirty years from now? Satan's always going to be roaming. Waiting for that opportune time. You see, I don't want to sound fatalistic, I'll say it again. Only to the point, to the fact that this is very serious as I speak to fishers of men. Because so many times people will say, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a fisher of men. But they haven't grasped these concepts, which means they themselves are on shaky ground. They're not firmly planted on the rock of salvation. I mean, would you take a two-year-old on a you know tuna fishing trip? Do you know how dangerous that is for the tuna fishing trip? you know how negligent that is for the guardian to do that? You're placing a youngling. You're pre- placing a, a young one in harm's way by doing that. Not to say don't be a fisherman. It's to say, no, you need to be firmly grounded before you can fish for the tuna. Because you know what's going to happen? The little 2 year olds going to cast the line. And then all of a sudden, it's gonna, you're going to see the little, boat, the, little uh, the, uh, uh, the, the fishing pole. You're going to see it bend. You're going to see the look of like, excitement on the two-year-old. And then you're going to see the two-year-old fly right off the boat and into the water, into harm's way. That's what happens with young Christians. Wow, I'm a fisher of men. I'm a fisher of women. Wow, cool. This is so awesome. I'm going to go and minister to the drug people. I'm going to go and minister to the alcoholics. I'm going to go minister to prostitutes. I'm going to go minister to wherever it is. It's not to say that their motives aren't pure. Their motives are fine. I don't question their motives. But it's the grasp, the severity of this task at hand, this commandment, the Great Commission, and be firmly grounded. Because to not be firmly grounded is danger, it's dangerous. Remember, it's a straight-up battlefield. It's a war zone. And you know, we see these aspects of violence in, you know, in terms of bloodshed. In verse 2, you know, the kill at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. What about when the offering is Jesus Christ? Understanding that He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. Say you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're aware of your sin and you're regretful of your sin. Remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit that goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And what if you're feeling conviction right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Once you believe in Jesus Christ, do you know what happens to this lamb at the doorpost of your heart? He's sacrificed and His blood is over the doorpost of your heart. You say like, wait a second, that's, that's kind of gruesome. Well, I'm speaking supernaturally, metaphysically. But in a spiritual sense, that's precisely what's happening. That's precisely, you know, the shadow of what we're talking about here in Leviticus. It's a mere shadow. You say, wait a second, I used to believe in Jesus Christ, but I've fallen away from Jesus Christ. Okay. The concept doesn't change. It's the exact same thing. Repent. Repent and believe. Be firmly grounded. Don't be a two year old, you know, fishing for tuna. Yeah, you can fish for tuna, but you need to wait, you need to be patient. You need to firmly be firmly grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ on these principles, and then you can move on from the elementary things. And then once you move on from the elementary things, you're firmly planted, then you can start to fish for tuna. You know, or maybe fish for little minnows. You're a two-year-old, praise the Lord. Fish for little minnows. You know, you grow, fish for trout. You grow more fish for salmon. You grow more fish for sturgeon. You grow more fish for sharks. You grow more fish for tuna. You grow even more fish for whales. You see, it's a war zone out there. It's very holy what's happening here in verse two. I should, it, this shadow—it's remember—it's a shadow of the things to come. It was holy back then, but holy the uh, the fulfillment being Jesus Christ. Because what happened? Remember, Jesus Christ—he's the one who says, "I am the door. I am the gate." Well, what happens at the door? Sacrifice. How do you have peace with God? Through Jesus Christ, the propitiation. It's the only way. There's no other way to have peace with God. You can't write him a fat check. He doesn't want your money. You can't people say like, oh, I, I, I'm i going to, you know, put down the pornography and then get right with the Lord. I'm going to put down the crack pipe and then get down get, get right with the Lord. Yeah, I get, you know, I don't like you on pornography. I don't like you on the crack pipe. I don't like you doing your alcohol, your drugs, whatever. I don't like you beating on your wife. But do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Okay, receive him as your Lord and Savior. You need to repent. And then you know what happens? Let him do the work. He's a way better cleaner than you can ever be. You say, man, that sounds so judgmental. No, I'm telling you by experience. He's a way better cleaner than you can ever be. And praise be to the Lord. You see, what happens here in verse 2, the shadow of things to come, when Jesus Christ says, I am the door, well, what happens at the door? He's killed at the door. The door of your tabernacle and i'm speaking of your body your temple you say like well i don't get this this is so well you know it's supernaturally discerned by the holy spirit spiritually discerned it's very holy as new covenant believers and it's very beautiful it's very exciting it's very joyful Every single Christian can rejoice when this happens in the life of a new believer. Even the angels rejoice at a a, a person who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. And so here in verse 2, it says, And kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. So there's a lot of blood. Pools of blood. At the sacrifice. You know what it reminds me of? or I start to wonder when Jesus Christ was being scourged and beaten and whipped. And the blood that would, the skin that would rip open. And then the open wound getting whipped more and whipped more and whipped more. Blood just all over the place. Should have rung a bell For some of the leaders It should have rung something Inside of these guys But they were blind and deaf Blind and deaf And they were the ones Who said Crucify him We have no king but Caesar Crucify him You see That's why you read Matthew 23 And you start to understand What Jesus Christ was saying And so let's look on here In verse 3 Then he shall offer from the sacrifice Of the the peace offering An offering made by fire to the Lord Now you're going to start to see These concepts of inner parts You know the the innards God is very concerned with You know the outward in terms of You know like nothing mangy You know being without blemish. But the, he's also very concerned about the innards. Look what happens here. Verse 3. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove. You, you read this it's like what? I don't understand. You know are these guys priests? They I read this and they seem to be like butchers. What are they? Are they priests or are they butchers? And if you're a pastor listening to this message, never ever ever forget that you're dealing with carnal people in the flock of God. They have carnality. You have carnality too. You know, ho- hopefully less. You, you read the, <laughs> you read the uh, description of pastors and elders and, you know, 1st uh, and 2nd Timothy and Titus. It's like, okay, you know, you have less carnality. I- if you don't, then, you know, I, I don't even want to say prayerfully reconsider your call. I say step down. Get right with the Lord. Maybe return to, you know, being an elder, return to pastoral leadership in time, or maybe just step down entirely. This is not anything to play games with. We have Old Testament examples of people who play games with this, who play games with the Lord. But never, ever forget, if you're a pastor... You're dealing with carnal people in the fellowship. People that do have blemish. People that do have sin. And it's to say, wait a second, okay, Lord, how is this dealt with? How is this dealt with? Turn with me really quick to Psalm chapter 51, Psalms 51. Psalms 51. verse 5 verse 5 says behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me so you have this little baby child this little baby born into adam born into adam born into the flesh the remedy is to be born in jesus christ to be born again in jesus verse 6 behold you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me known. You will make me to know wisdom. Truth in the inward parts. Never, ever, ever forget this. Truth in the inward parts. That's the remedy. That's it right there. So for pastors, elders, teachers, If you're female and a Bible teacher, praise be to the Lord. Truth. Remember, James chapter 4. James asks a question, a pretty hardcore question. He says, Where do wars and fights come from? And then he points the finger back at you. It's what's going on inside of your heart. It's what's going on inside of your mind, the inward parts. They need the truth. They don't need self-help. They don't need motivational speaking. They don't need doctrines of men. What they need is truth. God's flock needs God's truth. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a teacher if your teacher male or female God's people need the truth of his word that's the remedy you're dealing with carnal people you're dealing with people who do have blemishes inside and outside is to say hey i'm going to feed you and give them the truth of God's word that's the remedy and you're going to have people that, you know, have beef with you. Well, when you give a steady diet of truth, it's not you that they have beef with. They have beef with the Lord. That's between them and God. It's not between you. It's, you know, if you, know, if you do give the people motivational speaking, you give you give them self-help, you give them doctrines of men, you know, you're the one that has issue with God. You're the one. You know, they, they still have issues with God, but now you're implicated. But when you give a steady diet of truth, they're the ones that have issue with God. People are going to hate you. People are going to say, I'm out of here. People are going to say, threaten you. You know, I'm going to put this knife in your throat. People are going to threaten you and say, I'm not going to tithe anymore. It's, it's no big deal to you because you're giving truth. Their issue is with God. Your issue is not with God. You know, you don't have beef with God because you're obedient to Him. You giving God, you giving the people God's truth. You see, in that gar- in that regard, it's kind of uh, simple because you're giving them God's word. But in another sense, the difficulty is to understand. Like, wait a second, you know, like Lord. Maybe I should even shouldn't say difficulty because it requires a steadfast nature. It requires this understanding of the spiritual warfare. It requires a ministry unto God, not unto man, as we studied in previous chapters and previous weeks. Always ministry is unto the Lord. So going back to Leviticus 3, we see these aspects, the fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And you start to realize, well, the priests sound like butchers. Praise be to the Lord. I remember sitting in pews one time in our church in California, and I hated it so much. Number one, the first time, I, you know, I started to go to church, and I hated it so much just because I was like, man, what, the, what am I doing here? What in the world am I doing here? You know, I want to watch basketball. I want to watch sports. I want to watch a movie. I want to, you know, go out to eat. I want to have some lunch. I don't want to listen to this. And I was like bored out of my mind. And then I started to listen. Like, man, I'm offended. You know, I was a little snowflake. Man, you know, I'm offended this guy is saying this. And I was like, man, I can't believe it. So then I, you know, opened up a Bible. I'd have to ask my wife, you know, like, show me where this is. He says, turn here. I have no idea where this is. Can you show me? So she'd show me and I'd start to read and I'd follow along. And then I understood, wow, my issue is not with this guy. He's just saying what the words say. My issue is with the Lord. My issue is with this book, speaking about the Bible. And then I started to understand, oh my goodness. And in the weight, boy, I was convicted. Like crazy. And then once I understood that this pastor loved the Lord, feared the Lord, and loved the flock, which, that wasn't easy. There were certain... Aspects of my life that made it easy. But. How do I say this? I, like I. I welcomed the butchering. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. I was trying to think in my head like how can I say that I I like the butchering. How can I say that and you know and put it in nice way. I can't. I welcomed the butchering because I understood that you know something was happening. And so you start to read these things like wow the priests sound like butchers. Well sometimes pastors and elders and bible teachers can be butchers not in not in a mean way not to be like ah oh, I'm going to chop this off ha ha I'm going to slice this open no, in, a very, in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In a very gentle way. And skillfully too, because you're teaching the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. But people come to you, people come and listen. They listen to the Word, they listen to the preaching, they listen to the teaching. And this tool, capital T, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, that's what you use. To butcher. And butcher sounds so dark. But it's holy. Because what is it that you're butchering? As God's fellow co-worker. What Paul talks about to the church in Corinth. The carnal nature. The sin nature. The blemishes. You see? It's... Holiness for God's people. God's word being fed to God's people. And just like we read in, 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 in uh, uh, Psalm 51 verse 6, you desire truth in the inward parts. I'm not trying to say that that's easy. You take a, a person that's wrapped up in the carnal nature or hardcore with some major, major sin. Do you think they're going to like truth? No. They're going to hate the truth. You know what you do? Don't cast pearls to these people. But you can throw little nuggets, you know, like little, little, you know, holy daggers. Not the, not the beautiful pearls. Just enough to leave the door open. And in the course of time, this person will become humbled. I don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. But the Lord has a way of humbling the proud. And when that door, when that person who's proud, you know, has an immense amount of pride has been humbled, he or she will remember. Wow, I remember this guy that was talking to me, he left the door open. I'm gonna go talk to him. I remember this gal who told me these things about the Lord. I'm gonna read this chapter that she told me to read. You see, it's like little time bombs. As a skillful, skillful fisherman. You know, you see the little time fuses on Ordinance and put a little time fuse on it, and you launch the bomb, and boom, it goes off. It lands, but it doesn't explode yet. This proudful, prideful person has their, you know, moment of humility, and then boom, the time bomb goes off. The Lord is very concerned about our inward parts, and I'm not speaking about the liver. The liver. I mean, He wants, He wants us to live. To glorify Him in so doing. But He's very concerned about what goes on in your mind internally. Your worries. Your fears. Your depression. Your anxiety. He's very concerned about these things. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son. He's the one who says, My yoke is easy and My burden is light. You see, so let's look in here in verse 5. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice. Very interesting because you know, you start to see multiple sacrifices. So you have the uh, peace offering now, here in verse 5, it's with the burnt offering. Multiple sacrifices, very interesting, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God which is upon the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. You see, just like we read these passages of the burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. How many times do we read that in the burnt offering? What about the grain offering? When we read that it is most holy of the offerings, to the lord you have kodesh and then you have kodesh kodesh remember we talked about that and these offerings it's like whoa lord this is this is beautiful when you read see it's so cool when you read the new covenant and you understand the new covenant and then you go and you start to read the things in the law not to fulfill the things in the law but to see these things fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the depths of God's love for you and what He has done for you. The atonement He has made for you. The peace He has made with you. The amends He has made with you through Jesus Christ. In verse 6, if His offering offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, so like a sheep, Whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Remember, a lot of blood. A lot of blood. What does that show you? A lot of sin. A lot of sin. Remember, life for life life is in the blood very important and we're going to see these things like not just when we get into the chronicles the kings and you know you see these kings that did evil in the sight of the lord then you see somebody who honored the lord and it's like wow you like all the things that they bring back in terms of these offerings and the lord is pleased in them you know Josiah Hezekiah We're going to read about these people eventually in the course of time. But when we read about them, we're going to have the understanding of these things in the law and how the Shekinah glory was inside the temple and God was with His people. What about us as New Covenant believers? What about you and me inside of these temples? Are these temples defiled? And if they are defiled, how is the glory of the Lord inside of these temples? It's to say, no, if you are in a state of defilement as a believer in Jesus Christ, is to fall to your knees and repent. And then the Shekinah glory will return. You say, wow, I don't get it. Well, these things, remember, things of the old are a shadow of the things to come. We have these Old Testament examples. Paul writes about it. These things are written in the law. These things in the Old Testament are for our warning and admonition. In verse 9, Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, remember, the innards. The Lord is very concerned with the outards and the innards. I don't know if outards is a word. I just made it up. English is my second language. He's very concerned with the outer and the inner. Outer in terms of the blemish, like a lamb a, without blemish, a offering without blemish. But then the innards too. And I'm not speaking carnally. I'm not speaking in terms of a works-based salvation. I'm talking in terms of a holy-based salvation. Be holy. You know, you have a problem with whatever sin is to say, repent of that. And don't play games with it anymore. Some things you have to be very careful with. There are certain aspects in my life. The main one is anger. I have to tread so lightly with anger. I have to like walk on eggshells with the topic of anger. It's very, very sensitive to me. The Lord healed me. But it's not to say that, you know, I can just immediately just, you know, uh, be uh, loose about it. No, it's it's a thorn in my side. And praise be to the Lord, because sometimes the Lord will take out thorns. But sometimes the Lord will say, nope, that thorn, I'm going to keep that right there. Because it keeps you on your knees. It keeps you calling out for me. It keeps you crying out for me. So that thorn in your side... You know what? I put that there. I want that there. Because it keeps you crying out to me. You see how the Lord works? You know, it's so cool sometimes. It's like, you know how Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord three times? And the Lord said, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I wonder if he's saying the same thing for you when you think about the thorn in your side. The thorn in your flesh. Some thorns the Lord will remove. He doesn't want you to have those thorns. Sometimes the thorns are the thorns of our doing. You know? Yeah, I'm a crackhead. I stick this thorn of crack in my own body. You know? I'm an alcoholic. I stuck this thorn of alcoholism in my own body. You know, you're a sex head. You know, sex addict. It's like, you know, you're the one that stuck that thorn. And you know, you're healed in Christ. And the Lord, the Lord removes these thorns. But then there are other areas where it's like, you know what? I wonder if that's the very thing where the Lord is going to say, I'm not going to take that away. Because my grace is sufficient for you. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm not trying to play games with sin and say, hey, these things are now permissible. In no way, shape or form am I saying that. All you got to do is read Romans, which we'll get to eventually. Don't play games with sin remember there's sin against the body sexual sin is against the own temp the, your own temple the own body so it's not to say like oh the pornography is a thorn in my side no it's a sin against your own body it's not good don't do that repent throw that away get rid of it You know, these other aspects, there's certain things that you have to walk on eggs with. Like You have to be very careful and sensitive to. For me, it's anger. And you know, I have to tell you, it is a thorn in my side because I hate it. I hate it so much. But at the same time, I also love it. It's that dichotomy. I also love it. Because it's like, wow, Lord, I hate this. You know, I don't want to respond this way. I, I feel like I want to, but Lord, I, I deny myself, Lord. And then I start reading and I read, read, read and I pray, pray, pray. And it's like, wow, Lord, it's like this moment of intimacy that we had together all because of my anger. And it's like a, a blessing. Because if I didn't have these anger issues, it was like, well, man, you know, I could have, I could watch the movie. You know, I could have, you know, listened to some music. But no, it's like, you know, to get on your knees before the Lord. It's like, Lord, I want to tell this guy off, you know, and if he gets froggy with me and he wants to go to blows, I'm cool with that. But it's to be on your knees before the Lord and say, no, Lord, my heart desires to do this, but I don't want the desire of my heart, Lord. It's desperately wicked. Lord, I want your heart. And you read the Bible and you pray and you have this intimacy with the Lord and then you're done. And it's like, wow, you know, you open your eyes and say, Amen. It's like all this time of intimacy because of a little thorn. See, praise be to the Lord. So let's look here. In verse 11. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This word for food is very interesting because it's food. It's in the Hebrew. It's food. But it's also it also translates as showbread. Remember Acts 11 when the purpose of heart is like our showbread? Remember, we're talking about the peace offering. Amends with the Lord. Propitiation. And I'm not trying to say, get works-based. If you're thinking I'm speaking about works-based and advocating works-based, I'm not. What I am advocating is obedience. That's what I'm advocating, obedience. Just like we read in 1 John chapter 2 when we started this study. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You know, that's what happens. You know, if if we were to say, yeah, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, but then go do our sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. This is, you know, if that's the conduct, it's to say, you know what, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. That's if that were the case, but it's not the case to the believer, to the one who abides in Christ, to the one who chooses to abide in Christ. Verse 5, still in 1 John chapter 2 says, but whoever keeps, this is a military term, it's to be on watch, to be on guard, not asleep, not a lazy person. And you know, spiritually speaking. But whoever keeps his word truly loves, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. It's obedience. Hardcore obedience. You know, and I I read the Bible as... How I teach the Bible is how I read the Bible. Sometimes, you know, I say things, people say, man, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Well, I have to be hard on myself. I have to because I've learned from experience when I'm not hard on myself, when I don't when I don't take this hardcore approach to the word of God. It's not a pretty picture. And if you're like me, don't play games with the Lord like I used to do in my old past. If you're like me, read the Bible and be hardcore with the word of God be hardcore with the word of god remember the lord doesn't like lukewarm don't be lukewarm he doesn't like this mixture of the world inside of the temple we're going to see when we study in you know the chronicles kings we're going to see these that had elements of the world inside the temple The temple was defiled and you see the Shekinah glory leave. And then you see the people of God, Israel, they go to battle and they would lose their wars. They would lose battles. They would go under bondage. What happens in the life of a Christian? Inside of the temple. Inside of the temple. And I'm speaking of your body. When you don't bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. When you don't meditate on whatever's true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good things of good report, anything virtuous and praiseworthy. When you don't meditate on these things, you know what's going to happen in your mind? It's going to become a cesspool. And if your mind is a cesspool, the feet, the hands will soon follow. People always say like, wow, look at this guy, look at this girl, they committed a great, great sin. But the sin happened months ago, the sin happened years ago in the mind. The sin happened weeks ago in the mind, months ago, years ago, in the mind. Out of failure to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Failure to not meditate on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good things of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. You start to think and dwell on disgusting things, you start to think and dwell on sexual things, think and dwell on the crack pipe, think and dwell on the meth, think and dwell on the prostitutes, think and dwell on you know the alcohol, the rum. Think and dwell on the whiskey. Think and dwell on whatever it is works of the flesh well when that's inside the temple of your body, your mind, your heart when those things are going on your hands, your feet will soon follow and just like Old, Test- Old Testament Israel you'll lose battles that is not the condition to go to war in that is not the condition to be in a battle and you're already in a battle It's to say no. Put down that stuff that so easily ensnares people. Deny those things. Self-denial, just like we talked about on Sunday. Self-denial. You know, and then you have the full armor, and then you can fight. You learn, you're equipped. Very holy, these things that we're talking about. As New Covenant believers, studying from the law straight up. And so look what happens here. Going back to uh, uh, Leviticus three, verse eleven, the priest and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Verse twelve, and if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his head, hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, a lot of blood. Remember. And he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. Remember, more innards he shall remove. Remember, the priests are like butchers. That's why I say anybody who teaches the Bible, you yourself be like a butcher. You know, as lovingly and as gently as you possibly can. Because what you're doing is you're giving truth. Truth. Which is desired of the Lord in the inward parts. And it goes through the ear holes. It enters through the ear holes. It goes out of your mouth. And it enters the ear holes. I shouldn't say it goes out of your mouth. It emanates from your heart. It comes from your heart. And... Your heart is confined to the pages of Holy Scripture. That's the pastor. That's the elder. That's the Bible teacher. When I say Bible teacher, it's male or female. That's the youth leader. That's the women's ministry Bible teacher. And your heart is encapsulated in the Holy Word of God. And in the words that emanate from your heart. It goes from your heart up your throat, up your esophagus, your throat. It comes out of these, the chamber of... Teeth, and it goes into ear holes, and truth is going to the innermost parts, the inward parts. You see, that's what the Lord desires. Truth in the inward parts. And so, you know, it, it, consider yourself a butcher if you teach the Bible. Consider yourself a butcher. You know, biblical, biblically speaking. Not, you know, you can't be a butcher if you're. Gonna play games with sin if you're alcoholic, crackhead, you know, if you're a meth head, if you're a pornography person, if you're, you know, doing all your sexual stuff, doing all your, you know, whatever lifestyle that doesn't align with the Word of God, is sin is an abomination. You can't be a butcher. You need to repent and receive truth in your inward parts. And then, you know, don't play games with the Lord And then, you know, maybe as you grow The Lord will say, okay, I want you to be Minister in this capacity Minister to me in this capacity Remember, it's always unto the Lord But, you know, once all the boxes are checked, you know Just like in in accordance with First Timothy Second Timothy Titus You know, all the boxes are checked You know, your home's in order you know, you're not a crackhead. You know, all these things. It's like, wow, you know, the Lord calls you into teaching ministry. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Fulfill your ministry with joy. Rejoice in happiness. That's like the will of the Lord being fulfilled. You know, and be a butcher. Spiritually speaking, be a butcher. And cut out those carnal things in the, in the hearts and the minds of God's people. His flock. And so notice here in verse 16, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. An offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. I love this so much. All the fat is the Lord's. You know, for any you know, you have wives with their dumb husbands who complain about weight. Oh, you have weight issues, you have weight issues, all these dumb husbands, they such complainers. Oh, no, my wife's getting chubby, my wife's getting fat. Who cares? You know, the wife can come back and say, I'm a sweet aroma to the Lord. You know, it's so beautiful how the Lord works. All the fat is the Lord's. You get these carnal husbands, disgusting, disgusting things that they watch on TV. They watch in the movies. They watch in their computers. They watch on their phones. They see it on their screens. And then they go to their wife and they say, hey, I want you to be like this lady. I want you to perform like this lady disgusting disgusting weasels who call themselves husbands is to say no husband you need to repent get that thing out of your head get that concept out of your head where did it come from you bought the lie get that out of your head you can't demand your wife to do like this when you look at you yourself foolish foolish husbands and the husband says, oh, wife, you have to submit to me. It is written, you have to submit to me. Well, the wife can say, you know, it is also written. Don't forget the also written. The husband says, oh, wife, you know, you're getting a little chubby. I want you going a jog. I want you to eat less, you're going to jog. The wife can say, hey, I'm a sweet aroma to the Lord. And pray for your husband It's carnality Carnality By you know He That person In the church Is not receiving truth Because truth Would have dealt with this A husband could have had This thought in his head And in truth You know the pastor Whose heart is encapsulated In the truth of God's holy word All of a sudden What emanates it's just like it's an old recipe it, comes, it emanates from the pages of scripture it's in his heart it comes out of the you know up the esophagus out of the mouth from the tongue out of the mouth into the little ear holes and what happens inside the heart of this husband the husband's gonna start to realize oh man I got, I can't watch this stuff on my phone I can't watch this stuff on my computer I can't tell my wife to look like this. I can't tell my wife to. I can't do that. Man, I'm not submitting to Jesus Christ. Woe is me. I need to repent. You see? It's a holy recipe. It's a holy recipe. It's written all these things. Verse 17 says in closing this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. So, nor you know, one thing you have to keep in mind is there are laws in the Old Testament which apply to laws in the New Testament. Because it is written in the New Testament as New Covenant believers. It's like, hey, don't eat blood. We're going to get to that in a little bit, in a couple of weeks probably. Don't eat blood. So there are aspects, you know, people, like you talk to, you know, homosexuals. Homosexuals would be like, man, you know, they used to kill, uh, kill homosexuals in the, in, the, in, 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 in the law, in accordance with the law. But, you know, under grace, you know, I can be a homosexual. No, 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 no. It's abomination in the Old Testament and it's an abomination in the New Testament. You know, and I don't, I don't want to pick on homosexuals because there's, you know, heterosexual sin too. Heterosexual sin was a a stonable offense in the Old Testament, just like it is in the New Testament. Well, I shouldn't say just like it is, but it's not good. It's an abomination in the New Testament as well. It's to say, I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. I need atonement. I need peace with God. I need to make amends with the Lord. And then to understand peace with God has already been made. Amends with the Lord has already been made. Receive his son. It trips me out so much, you know, like to talk to homosexuals, lesbians. You know, it's like, look, I don't hate you if you're a homosexual, if you're a lesbian. I don't hate you. You're in a type of sexual sin that everybody else, there's heterosexual sin. Sometimes Christians get on their high horse and they come against the homosexual community. Is to say, be a fisherman. And say, hey, come out of that lifestyle. Deny that lifestyle is not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And come out of that lifestyle. People say, oh, I was born this way. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. People go to prison. You have a, a, a male. A heterosexual male goes to prison at age 25. Gets out of prison at age 60 as in a homosexual. Uh, something happened in prison. I don't mean to get graphic, but you know... He wasn't born that way. He learned it. He come, goes into prison heterosexual. Comes out of prison homosexual. It was learned he wasn't born that way. It's an excuse. If there's any... of uh, I don't know who's listening, but if you're homosexual, lesbian... You have these tendencies... Come out of that lifestyle. Deny those things of the flesh. Deny those works of the flesh. You know, we're talking about blood here. But in the Old Testament, in the, in the law and in the New Testament, there are when there are certain aspects of things that align, that means it's not good. That means the Lord doesn't like it. Sexual sin. Other gods. Idolatry. These are things that He doesn't like. Now, there are certain things of the law which are over as new covenant believers. Just as, you know, Peter had his vision when he was in a trance, when he was in ecstasy, and the Lord gave him a vision. But there are correlating rules and laws governing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those are things that we never play games with. So it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. Next week, you know, Lord willing, we're going to be in chapter 4 about the sin offering. And it's going to be so cool because remember, this is a tapestry that we're learning. We're learning in the law, but it's a tapestry that all points to Jesus Christ. All of it. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So we'll end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.